You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we are going to talk about strategies in playing the ball at the net. Now, this is not blocking. We're not going to talk about blocking strategies in terms of hand positioning forward. We're going to, we're going to talk about, you know, what else is involved in the game by being successful and strategies that we can do by playing the ball around the net. What, what, should, we, what should we be looking for and how do we train it? So it's an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is... The Volleyball by Design Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 76 of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Pleasure as always. My name is Coach Brian Singh and I'm the host of the podcast. So if you are a new listener, welcome. Appreciate you taking the time out uh, and listening to the pod, to the episodes. I hope you find some value in it. And if you are a regular listener, as always, Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And I hope that you get another episode filled with some takeaways that you can apply back to your gym uh, and, and get some value, really, at the end of the day. That's what we're trying to do here. So, you know, excited to be back. And man, let me tell you, I am super excited to be back in the gym with my team, back playing games, back to, back to practice planning and game planning and all the things that I've been talking about on the pod for a long time. But because of COVID, I was restricted in doing all those things, you know. When I first started this podcast, what was it, back in June of 2020, I would talk about things that I've done in the gym that we're going to be doing in the gym. But now it's amazing to get to actually be back on the floor with practices and diving into tangible things that I'm going through currently. And it's amazing. And if you are a DVA member, um, I'm so excited to be able to bring you guys behind the scenes to what might what what it sounds like in the locker room you know what it sounds like on my uh, on my bench when I'm with my team on the court in practices and stuff like that so just overall you know I'm excited to be able to bring so much to the game and share it with you know with coaches and that's what that's what I love doing and I think that's kind of that's been my that's my it's been my passion as of late is to doing stuff like that. So anyways, really excited. We just had a just finished up a weekend tournament out here in uh, Toronto, Ontario. Well, we were actually in a, in a Durham region. So if you if anyone's familiar with the Durham region, we went to uh, Durham College hosted a, a nice small four-team tournament. And we were in the finals battling against the University of Ottawa. And we lost a really great thriller, 15-13 in the fifth set. We lost to this team, but you know what? Great team. Um, our guys grew a lot this weekend, and it was it was an amazing experience. We have a really young team this year, you know, with COVID and all. A lot of our guys graduated, so we have a new young group coming in. And for a young group to compete the way they did, and we played against a veteran veteran team in the University of Ottawa. I think they had three fifth years on the starting lineup where we had pretty much all all first years with the exception of two players it was it was really cool to see so that's that's what i've been up to this weekend um a lot of a lot of great great volleyball action but now i'm back on the pod and we're going to talk about today we're going to talk about playing the net 
Now, when you hear playing the net, you may think of blocking, right? That instantly you might go to blocking, but um, there's a lot more to playing the net than just blocking. There's a lot of things that happen at the net that we have to train in order to be ready for it when it happens in a game. And before we talk about these things, uh, I do want to talk about a couple of the rules because there's a lot of times, and I see it all the time, when I go watch club volleyball and high school volleyball, I, I see coaches get confused with the rules around playing the net. You know, sometimes coaches get confused. The ref, one ref will call it some way while another ref doesn't call it another way. I don't know. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of controversy. I want you want to call it, but I'm going to, I'm just going to explain the rules when it comes to the net. And now I'm not talking about touching the net. That's, that's obvious, right? If you touch the net, it's a violation. I want to talk about like penetrating under the net and playing faults around the net that you may not be uh, familiar with. So let's just talk about a couple things. And this is, mind you, certain leagues may have adapted certain rules changes. Like they may have changed a couple things, but this is a general, you know, FIVB, you know, USA, Canada volleyball. These are general rules that I think, I think still apply to all leagues unless they have a specific thing they've, they've changed per league. Okay. But if you didn't know, it is actually permitted to penetrate into the opponent's space under the net, provided that it does not interfere with the opponent's play. Did you know that? So you are actually allowed to penetrate under the net. Okay, you're allowed to penetrate under the opponent's space, providing that it does not interfere with the play. Now, there are a couple caveats to this rule. Okay, so just to, I just want you to understand you are allowed to go under the net. You are allowed to do that, but it can't interfere with the opponent's play. In addition to, okay, it can't, you can't go beyond the center line. So whatever that center line is, your foot has to be touching a part of that line. So there has to, if your foot goes into your opponent's space under the net, as long as a part of your foot still remains in contact with the center line, you are okay. But if your whole foot goes over, then that's a problem. Now, in some in some leagues, they allow that, providing it does not interfere with the opponent's play. But the rule is many rules is that it can't. It has to be in contact with the line. Okay, understand that. And what what else is interesting is, is this is the one that I think is is most interesting is that you are allowed to touch your opponent's court with any part of your body above the feet. With any part of your body above the feet, providing that it does not interfere with the opponent's play. Okay, so let me repeat that. Just, so you, just to understand that. You are allowed to touch the opponent's court with any part of your body above the feet. Okay, so above the feet, you're allowed to go onto the opponent's court, providing it does not interfere with the play. So I want to paint a picture for you, all right? If a player dives under the net headfirst to save a ball, and it does not interfere with the opponent's play, and their feet are still on your side of the court. So imagine your player diving after a ball, saves the ball, goes under the net, but their feet are still on your side of the court, and it does not interfere with the opponent's play. Guess what? That is legal. They are allowed to have their entire body. You could potentially be almost at the 10-foot line depending on how tall you are. Okay, no, I lied. You won't be at the 10-foot line because no one's more than 10 feet tall. But, you, you know, you could be really like a couple feet over the line, but as long as your feet are on your side of the court and you haven't interfered with the opponent's play, you are okay. 
So that is interesting to know. So when you're doing drills, when you're work, when you're diving and practice and training, the, like the skill of like you know going after a ball, you don't have players don't have to worry about that. Now, obviously, you can't interfere with the opponent's play. Okay, so that is true. Um, and then that's where you it gets kind of subjective, you know, on what is in, in, like, what is in, interfering with the opponent's play. But really, it's their play on the ball. They, you can't interfere with their play on the ball. So if a player is there and you, you know, you're going right beside the player, but the ball is nowhere near the player, that's okay. You didn't interfere with the opponent's play. Okay, so so things like that. It's really interesting to know. So that is that is the penetrating under the net, and I found that I found that really interesting, especially when I first started coaching volleyball. The fact that you were allowed half your body under the net, as long as your feet are on one side of the court and you don't interfere with the play, that was an interesting one. Okay. The other thing I want us to be aware of, I know I'm talking a lot of rules and, and legality here, but it's important to understand that as coaches, okay? And the last thing that I want to mention when it comes to just rules and regulations is the is when you are when it comes to the opponent's airspace, let's just talk about the opponent's space, okay? I know a lot of coaches still get this rule wrong. I even see it at the college level, which is unbelievable. And I want I want to I want to paint the picture for you. So let's say that the ball is on the other side of the court, okay? So on your opponent's court, and they have three touches. They've already done their three touches, okay? So on the third touch, it's a free ball, and they're bumping it back over the court. And you reach over into their space. So you go beyond the net, you reach over the net into their space, and hit the ball down. Is that a violation? Think about that. I'm, I'm asking you. So in your head, I'm obviously I can't hear your answer, but in your head, Answer the question, yes or no. Is that a violation? On third contact, the other team is bumping the ball back over and you reach beyond the net, right? Seal the net, go beyond the net and hit it down, but you hit it down in their airspace. Is that a violation? The answer is yes. It is actually a violation. It doesn't matter if it's third contact. So a player, if a player touches the ball or an opponent in the opponent's airspace, in the opponent's space, before or during the opponent's attack hit, that is a violation. You can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. It's unreal, but you can, you're not allowed to play the ball in their space. You can't touch the ball in their space. You have to wait until it touches the plane of the net, and then you're good to go. So sometimes, right, like, you, I mean, you know how big a volleyball is. The volleyball can touch the the net line, like, or in, in, in and around the net line area, it can, as soon as it crosses that plane or that, t- or touches the plane of the net, you are then allowed to hit the ball back down, no problem. But it has to touch the plane of the net first. So I found that really, really interesting because, you know, coaches get confused when we talk about sealing the net and penetrating into their space on the block. But that is during, so that that's where you have to be very careful with an attack hit. So like if they're attacking the ball and it's in, in, in the air, they're jumping in the air, they're attacking the ball and it's at the net line, then you're allowed to penetrate because both of you are penetrating at the same time. And then it's really difficult for a ref to see, okay, did he, did he or she reach over into the airspace you know, after the, the hitter contacted the ball? It, it happens so fast and it's kind of like if you imagine an invisible line going straight up and straight down, it's very difficult to see. But if you are playing the ball, a free ball, over into their airspace, it's very easy to see, and that's a violation. So, just I know I spoke a little bit, a little bit longer than normal here when it comes to the rules of the game, but it's unbelievable. That's that's actually a thing. So, I just want to re- recap there. Okay, this is a fault. This is a fault at the net. If a player touches the ball or an opponent 
in the opponent's space before or during the opponent's attack, that's a violation. All right, so just understand that. And it's, that, that's, a, that's a legitimate universal rule when it comes to playing the ball at the net. So now let's talk about why, why am I going over this? Well, there are a lot of things that uh, we have to understand, and that is that the net play is an important part of our game, and we have to know how to play the net of, uh, accordingly, okay? Now, there's a new term that you may not know. Um, if you're a veteran coach, you may know this, and this is called a joust. A joust. You might, want write, you might want to write this down. If you're at the younger age group, you may not have to worry about jousting yet. But a joust is when the ball is on the net. So really, it's the ball is being played over the net, okay? And two players are jumping after that ball at the net to see who wins. And they're jousting. It's like to both hands are on the ball from both players. And whoever wins, the ball lands on the other side of the court, all right? I'm probably doing a really poor job of explaining what a joust is here. But basically, imagine like I'm going to, if I was to toss the ball up, right above the net line and two players were to jump on both sides up over the net and try to hit the ball back down right really push the ball back down on both sides both of the players might be pushing the ball simultaneously you know that is called a joust all right now there's some interesting things to know about the joust and one of them deals with this idea of simultaneous contact now you may have heard me talk about simultaneous contact but simultaneous contact is if both players, okay, if both players are touching the ball at the same moment, okay, they're allowed to do that, by the way. That is not a fault. If both players jump up in the air and are touching the ball at the same time, okay, imagine both players jumping up at the net, touching the ball at the same time. That is not a lift. That is not a violation. All right? A collision of players does not count, does not constitute, excuse me, does not constitute a fault. That's interesting, isn't it? So if one player touches the ball, that's counted as a hit. But if both players touch the ball, that is not counted as a hit. That is called simultaneous contact. And it's not counted as a lift either. So that is interesting to know. So why is that important? Because we want to train our players to be tough at the net and push the ball off another player's hands. Be aggressive. Because Pushing the ball, you got to think about it from a player's standpoint, okay? When a player jumps up at the net to, to play the ball, they're, in their mind, they're hitting the ball with one simple motion, an attack hit. Either two hands or one hand, they're hitting the ball. They're not normally trained in volleyball to push the ball off the player's hands or see a player at the net and, and actually, literally, it's, it's almost like you're holding the ball, essentially, because you're pushing it against someone else's hand. So it's not, a, it's not one single motion of a hit where the ball hits the ground. You're pushing the ball against the other player's hands. And that may feel like a lift. Because in theory, if the player's hands weren't there, it probably would constitute as a lift. So we have to train our players to joust and get them used to that motion because I can tell you with certainty, especially at the higher level, the a lot of situations happen. Now, coaches, how many times have that happened where a ball is being played to the net and either you're not strong enough, the team is not, you know, you're not good at playing the net and another team just puts the ball back down without you even being there or, 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 without, or having a weak presence at the net when the ball is being played around the net line. So a joust is important to understand. We want to teach our players to... You know, be loaded, right? Somewhat like in a block situation, sure. Go up strong with their loaded in their hips, right up, elevated shoulders, really push on the ball, big, nice hands, okay? 
and really, really develop that core strength. Use your core to generate power and push the ball. And I find that when we teach this, it's more about getting comfortable with the ideal of not, of not, it's not a lift, but rather it's simultaneous contact. It's getting comfortable with the fact that two players can touch the ball at the same time and it's not a violation. So once they get used to that, then they'll be even better at jousting. Okay, really trying to push. Now, here's a couple strategies that we, you know, I think that it's important to understand. When we joust, yes, we need to be strong. We need to have a good base, solid core. Uh, we need to do these things too. But we also don't want it to get into the game of muscling the other person out. Okay, we don't want to just try to push off their hands completely and have them go down. We want to push off their hands and swipe. So we want to teach our players to have that one motion. Now, over a podcast, it's kind of tough for me to uh, describe, but I want you to imagine a player jumping up. The ball is going to be played at the net and pushing off the blocker's hands and then swiping off of it. So it's one solid and simple motion. It's a push off the hands, and then it's a swiping the ball in either direction. It doesn't matter. And that will pre- that will prevent... That will prevent, if even if you're a weaker blocker, that will prevent the ball coming back on your side, but it also will increase your chances of scoring off that ball, okay? So we really, really, really want to teach that. And then also, if you if you run into the issue of, you know, you just pressing the ball against the other player's hands for the entire duration of the play, well, guess what? That ball is going to be coming back down, and one of you may or may not touch the net. And we don't want to get into that. We want to make sure that we understand that, okay, we're going to be strong at the net, Good solid core, good hips, good foundation, good shoulder strength, and really pushing off and swipe off the hands. Okay, that's what we want to do. So that's a joust. So really important to understand how we play that joust. The other thing I want to talk about with playing at the net is an ideal of an overpass. Now, overpass is when a ball is served and the passer, uh, basically, instead of getting the, pa- the ball to a setter, the ball is shot over the net back into the other side of the court. Okay, so it's an overpass. We're passing over the net. We're not trying to do that, but it happens. A really good skill that we try to work with our players, and I actually am guilty of not working on this enough, is recognizing when there's an overpass and going and actually playing the ball at the net. Now, it's very difficult to do this, but sometimes if you're if a middle is good enough, they can track an overpass. Now, middles are the ones generally doing this, sometimes left sides, but middles are the ones that are close enough to the net because they're only... Um, backing up to the 10-foot line to approach and, and run their attack. So a middle, if a middle can recognize that a ball is going to be overpassed and the setter won't be able to get to it or run a run an in-system ball, it is a great uh, option for them to track that overpass and actually make a play on it. Now, they're not going to be able to swing on it because an overpass, it's really tough to swing, but they may be able to get their hand on it and tip it in a direction that, that well, a tip is an attack, but they're going to be able to tip it to make it more difficult for the team to run the ball back down our throat. We want we got, we got to understand if it's a free ball, if we're overpassing the ball back over the net, that is a free ball. And nine out of ten times, teams are going to score on free balls. But if we can get a hand on the ball in the overpass and a middle can direct it in a certain direction, then they have to play defense. And that may force them into an out-of-system situation, which is great because then we have a better chance of playing defense against that. Okay? So that is that is an overpass. 
And that is how we want to make sure that our middles, predominantly our middles, can read that and teach it. And a simple drill you can use is, is, really, is really simple. Have a, a coach can down ball over the net to a passer. A passer can pass a couple overpasses, then pass a couple in-system balls. And have the... And work with the middle by seeing the middle. The middle can look at, well, was the, was the passer in position to pass the ball? Were they late? Did they not get an angle behind the ball? Were there, was their platform off? And they can use those cues. See, even though middles don't pass, they still have to be able to read cues for passers because then they can, they can read that and say, whoa, when, that, when that's occurring, they can gauge whether the ball is going to be overpassed or not, and they can just take it. Okay? So that's a strategy. Now, you've got to play with this because sometimes we, don't want, we want our setters still trying to get to set the ball. Because the good setters can intercept that ball that's going to go over the net and set the ball. But this is all going to be based on the skill level of your team and how well we can read the overpass. Okay. Another thing about playing the ball at the net is reading the ball coming over. Okay, Reading the ball coming over. So just like when we are overpassing, if we can get a hand on the ball, guess what? What happens when the other team is overpassing? Now, this is a very, very difficult thing that to work on because coaches, how many times have you guys had games where a ball would be overpassed on the other side of the court and we're either transitioning back and it falls in front of the players and then they don't get it or it's, it's right at the net line, right at the net line where if we were there, we would be able to put the ball back down, but instead we get a ball handling error because it trickles over the net or it goes really short over the net and then we end up making a mistake. So here's what I say, all right? You have to figure out, you know, what, first of all, when a free ball is coming over the net, the first instinct is to definitely back up and play the ball. It's a free ball. This is where your ball control comes in play, and this is where you're, you know, you guys have been training ball control, I hope. And free ball comes over, we transition, we get ready to pass the ball up and control the ball to a setter, and we run our offense. But there are other situations where sometimes the ball would be coming at a different angle, and you may want to have your middle blocker wait, like just, just wait a little bit on, uh, for the release. Like, for example, if a ball is being free balled like behind the end line, so they were, they're chasing and they're just going to free ball the ball back by the end line. That's a pretty far distance. So I wouldn't have my middle release just, what, just quite yet. I would wait and see where the trajectory of that ball is going. Because if it's going right along the net line, that's an easy block for the middle. It's a really easy block for the middle. They're just because they're going to move along the net line and block the ball. And if it doesn't, if it's going deep, well, guess what? The distance is so far already that they're going to be able to release back to the 10-foot line anyways and then make their approach, okay? So it's something that you have to practice and train, and the middles have to be aware of this already. But if it's a free ball where the ball is being free balled at the 10-foot line and or, or, a little, or in the court, then yeah, you want the middle to release and then go. But if it's an awkward free ball where you know, it's going to take time before that free ball comes over and things like that, then you might want to wait a little bit for the middle to release so that if the ball goes along the net line, we can put it back down and we can run a simple offense and score. All right. So that is, that is another idea. That's another strategy we can use when it comes to playing the net. Now, another thing that I think is also important when playing the ball at the net, and this, this again deals with ball control is we we have to have the ability to play short balls. And this I find is very key with the middles. Middle, if you're coaching middles coaches, you know, middles generally, generally, now I'm not gonna, I don't, I'm not trying to single middles out here, but middles generally don't have 
the level of ball control as the left side, as the right side, as the liberos, because middles don't work on that as much, you know? All the, you know, the, the left sides, the outside hitters, they're always getting the passing touches in practice. So their ball control is generally better. But when we're training middles, we want to make sure that our middle ball control is really good too, because when we're peeling off the net, when they're free balling it over, if they free ball it short or if the ball goes right in front of the attack line, middles have to have the ability to take that first ball. They have to be comfortable taking that first ball. So that ball control right at the net is really important. So again, playing the net in like playing the net on a, from an offensive perspective, it's important to understand, you know, jousting, overpasses, tipping and all that stuff. Yes, penetrating under the net and what you're allowed and not allowed to do. Yes, that's great. But we also have to be able to control the ball at the net as well so we can run an offense because it's easy to control the ball from the backcourt because you have a lot of distance the setter can move you have more you have like from a from a range perspective there's more range from for a passer to, to be able to deliver a ball it's easier it's, right you're also the court awareness is more it's, it's it's wider but at the net it's very very short distance it's a lot of room for air there so we have to train that. So coaches, I want you to train when your players are backing off the net. I want you to train them to have ball control at the net so they can kind of, you know, angle their platform, manipulate the ball to the setter and the setter can work from there. So that's why all these ideas of short court, short court's a great game for that where it's like two on two, the boundaries in front of the attack line, you can't go beyond the attack line. You could you could split up one full net into multiple different sections with your antennas and play short court that way. So you have multiple players getting involved in the game. Those are all different ways you can do short court, but it's a really good strategy and it's really good to have them practice that because there's a lot of times where balls are, you know, just trickling over the net or short around the net and our, and our ball control might not be there. And then all of a sudden you turn a ball that should be in system into an out of system and you're at a disadvantage. Okay, so these are all, you know, different strategies that you can use when it comes to playing the net. So just to recap, you know, jousting, okay, jousting is when two players are going to go up at the net, touch the ball simultaneously, you know, try to, who's going to try to win that joust. Overpassing, having your middle or your front court blockers understand to read overpasses, as well as reading the ball coming back over. Normally, that's what your middle. Um, one thing I didn't talk about at the net too, this is more of an offensive thing. But anytime you have an opportunity, you know what, I will mention, this is also really, really important. Anytime the ball is being played at the net line, you know, sometimes the ball gets bumped up or blocked up and it's all along the net line. The ball is being th thrown up in the air at the net line. And one of the instincts for the players is to crush it. Just go up and swing heavy on the ball. And how many times, coaches, do you see a ball go up at the net line and a player comes in and tries to swing big and either swings out, gets blocked, or swings into the net? Those are the three biggest things that happen, right? Yeah, either swing out, swing into the net, or get blocked. So what we want to train our hitters to do is, and I say this all the time, is go high off hands. You want to train them when the ball is at the net, when you want to swing, and if it's on your side of the court or at the play of the net, you want to swing high off hands. That is a fantastic option because it minimizes your errors because you're not trying, you're not swinging down on the ball anymore. You're swinging high off the high off the hands. It's a high probability that players are going to touch it because they're already at, at the net blocking. So while they're trying to block, you're swinging into their block and you're going high off hands, so they have to chase. So that's, again, one of my favorite, most high percentage shots in the game. I love the high hand shot. You could also, again, this would be my second option. Swinging high hands would be my first option. But the second option would be 
you know, swiping. So just kind of like what we talk about with the joust, like pushing off their hands and out. So swiping, swiping with one hand or two hands, if you're a left side, for example. Um, or really, really rolling and positioning the ball deep in the court. That's like a third option, okay? We're using your wrist, pushing it deep in the court, and having them have to play it back. But the high hands is definitely my favorite go-to shot when it comes to playing the ball at the net. So joust, overpass, going high hands, reading the ball coming over, in addition to understanding all the different types of rules regarding penetrating under the net as well as, you know, playing uh, player faults at the net, you know, like touching the ball in your opponent's space and things like that. All things that I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, many coaches remember, but at the same time, it's good, it's good to have a reminder. And it's also good to remind yourselves to, to train net play. I know we're so focused on serving and passing, and don't get me wrong, I, I, every practice we serve and pass, but it is good sometimes, like when you're at a level, to understand how to play a ball at the net. Not just your middles, but the whole team. How to play the ball at the net. Be comfortable playing the ball at the net so that when you're in those moments, which happens in a match, where there's a lot of balls that are played at the net, your net play will not only be stronger than the other teams, but your players will be more confident in that net play. And then on top of that, you're going to avoid any of the violations we talked about. All right? So I hope you got some value out of this episode. Listen, um, just to just to kind of finish up here, uh, if you're a DVA member, um, you're going to be getting a lot of new things in the membership with regard, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, I got a lot of behind the scenes coming our way with me mic'd up on the court, both in practice, outside of the gym, like on the road, in, in our um, when we are playing in games pre-game, post-game, all that stuff is coming your way. Um, if you are a listener who is not enrolled in my mentorship program called Digital Volleyball Academy, that's DVA by the way, um, and you're interested, head on over to digitalvolleyballacademy.com. And if you don't know what it is, honestly, it's it's um, it's a membership where I'm able to mentor and welcome coaches into my gym no matter where you are around the world. You have access to my resources, a, a ton of my courses that I've created, plus you get to see what we do inside our college gym. So I can help you in any way that I can. Um, and then you also get a chance to be part of a community. We have we have about 200 coaches inside DVA, amazing people. Uh, you can lean on them. You can ask your questions, get feedback. It's a really great group of coaches to kind of go along that journey with you. In addition to, you know, you, get, you jump on coaching calls with me twice a month where I do live training, Q&A, and things like that. So it's a really cool experience, and I'm really extremely proud of, of, uh, of DVA and what it's kind of grown to be to help. It's helped so many coaches um, change the lives of their players, win championships, win games, and, and more importantly, grow this game, which is what I'm all about. I'm all about growing this game. So DVA members, I got some great stuff coming your way. And again, if you're interested, head on over to digitalvolleyballacademy.com. It's currently closed, but join the wait list. And as soon as doors open again, I will definitely let you know. All right, that's it for this episode. I will see you guys next week on another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.